welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Toby or not Toby? That is the question in the Lakers' tale of two New York cities. Against Brooklyn, it was Toby. Against the Knicks, it was not Toby. But nevertheless, the Lakers have the big penguin with a semi-banged-up toe. They got Macklemore and are semi-ahead of schedule in wins during this Sands AD and LBJ stretch. And... 80s on the way, and so are the fans. Uh, I think that's happening in two days against the Celtics. It's crazy. I mean, what a time. And what a time on this podcast because just in time for that, uh, facing the Celtics and the fans coming back, we actually have all three of the Lakers Legacy Podcast on the Lakers Legacy Podcast for this season, within the season, which is crazy. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Alan Riley, and Tommy Alexander. Alan, your thoughts on THT's reverse alley-oop dunk on the move against the Knicks? That was sick. Uh, rewound it a couple times. Um, yeah, dude, it's funny. I saw it like he was running the wing right around half court. And I was like, yo, they better see him <laughs> like run, <laughs> busting his ass right there um, on the fast break. So that was, as Stu Lance said, that was noise. Yeah, I mean, credit to Caruso for the brilliant pass because he threw that pretty much right before the half-court line and credit uh, THT for an insane show of athleticism. That boy is special. Uh, Alan, welcome back to the show. Tommy, what are your thoughts about... (laughs) What's up, dude? What are your thoughts about Mr. Popsum Tags, Ben McElmore, knocking down five threes versus Brooklyn and letting KD's mom know about it each time. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he let her know about it. I'm doing, you guys can't see me right now, but I'm doing the celebration he was doing after he made each of those threes. Because <laughs> I honestly, Did you guys know what he was doing the first time he was doing no, that? I, I, actually, I still have no idea. Can you tell me what he's doing? <laughs> I was like, is he doing the Spider-Man thing and showing her how he's going to like flip out his wrist? I don't know. It was bizarre, but it worked out. Five threes. That would have been really lame if he just did it that one time and he just kept missing. But luckily for him, he hit four more. So yeah, what are your thoughts about Ben McLemore shooting the lights out against Brooklyn? Um, it was awesome. I, you know, it's cool having a guy on this team who... I feel like, you know, for all the years, many, many years that LeBron was not on our team, one annoying thing always used to be as a Laker fan was that it seemed like midseason, he would just get some random dude who you kind of wrote off in your mind as not being relevant anymore, who would just, you know, but it was like at some point known as a decent shooter and he would join the team and just start lighting it up. And I don't know if that's necessarily Ben McLemore, but... I think that game is a good start. Tell that to uh, Katie's mom. Ayo. Anyways, we are recording this prior to the Lakers taking on the Hornets. Um, Given the Hornets have multiple injuries going on to key guys, including PJ Washington and Terry Rozier, we're hoping that's a win for the Lakers, but you never know. Regardless, the Lakers are 33 and 21 as of the time of this recording. They are still fifth place in the West and are five and five in their last 10 games. So after they lost to the Pelicans, just soon after LeBron James went down, I kind of mapped out their, their next 15 games, Sands, AD, and LeBron. And so far, the Lakers are pretty much right on pace or maybe even ahead of my projections um, of going 5-10 and 10 in the worst-case scenario, 6-9 and nine in the best-case scenario. Um, and they're currently 5-5 five and five so far in that stretch, potentially 6-5 and five after tonight. 
even if they lose tonight and let's say lose the next five games or so in this 15 game stretch, they'll pretty much have hit that low bar of 510. Um, but as they continue to gain momentum, you know, they may even end up at seven or eight or eight and seven and steal a win against, you know, the struggling Mavericks. But regardless, I wanted to get your guys general thoughts on how the Lakers have played um, in this last stretch. And, you know, I know they've won against some bad teams, but obviously they kind of surprised Brooklyn a bit, surprised us a bit. Um, and within all that, we'll get into Ben McLemore and Andre Drummond separately, but just your general thoughts on how the Lakers have done this so far. And obviously the, I think the main topic here will probably be defense because they are still top three, top four in the league in defense within this stretch without uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And on the year, they're still number one in defensive rating, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, most of all, I mean, Tommy, before any of this happened, I think you were the most maybe alarmist on how the Lakers would do in this stretch. And each time I was like, we just need five and 10 guys. We just need to go five and 10. And this was even before news of Drummond came out or whatever. And luckily we are, we've already hit that point, um, even if we lose the next five. And it seems like at the very least, the Lakers are gaining some sort of momentum and some sort of identity without LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis. So in, in your uh, opinion and eyes, what have you seen from this team just trying to cobble together an identity? And what do you think has contributed to them sort of being pretty much a 500, a little below 500 sort of team in this last stretch? Well, I think it really speaks to Frank Vogel's effectiveness as a coach. I mean, you know, I, I don't know... Uh or I guess it was only available on ABC, but I mean, the typical ABC crew was doing the Nets game the other night and Jeff Van Gundy was like surprised. I mean, like the discussion was, oh, well, the Lakers are definitely going to fall to seventh before LeBron and 80 come back. Right. And everybody just kind of like wrote it off as like, oh yeah, that's to be assumed. Right. And, but I, I think it really highlighted the point. Like later Jeff found out that actually we've been playing about five, you know, with that Nets win too, we've been playing about 500 ball with, both of them out of the lineup and he was like surprised. Right. And I think it really just speaks to this idea that the rest of the league thinks this is LeBron and AD and like a bunch of guys who are just sort of there. Um, but Frank Vogel has done a like masterful job, frankly, taking a ragtag bunch of dudes who were essentially were brought here to play around LeBron and AD and not really do much else themselves and like mid season through like everything that's been going on kind of shift the way that they are all individually thinking about like what their role on the team is getting them to continue to buy in defensively. These things have like all come together so much more effectively than I could have ever imagined. I mean, this is a pretty fun team to watch. Like they lost to the Knicks, but the Knicks are actually pretty good this year. We're playing really good defense um, over the course of the whole season as well. But we were there with them. I mean, until they kind of blew it out towards the end, but like we were there with them the whole time. Um, we play scrappy every night. We're almost playing kind of like how you would want a sort of young up and coming scrappy sort of rebuilding team to play, but we're a bunch of veterans doing it. And you rarely, rarely see that in a season like this, it would have been super, super easy to just have everybody kind of take a step back and, and, you know, be like, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. It doesn't even matter. We'll, we'll eight seed, nine seed, whatever. We'll figure it out when, when LeBron and AD come back. Like I'm a vet. Like I didn't come here to play harder than I need to. And I'm not going to right now. And it's just been exactly the opposite. I mean, I, for how bad we looked offensively, the first few games that 
LeBron was out, we have really, really, really turned it around. I mean, guys are moving, guys are cutting. We're still turning it over like way too much, but like, and maybe you can attribute some of this to like streaky, maybe borderline lucky shooting, but guys are playing amazingly well right now, moving without the ball, doing things that are going to only help us when LeBron and AD come back. But it all comes back to Frank Vogel and what he's been able to do in terms of keeping guys engaged. And I, I just can't say enough good things. I mean, everybody was surprised, right? I, I I definitely was a little bit more alarmist than you guys, but I think most people just looking at the roster and looking at where we were in the season and looking at the schedule, because April is a brutal month for us uh, schedule-wise, like a lot of people kind of think um, – or kind of would have just assumed, yeah, that's not going to work out, but it really has so far. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's even with being frustrated with some of Frank Vogel's decisions regarding rotations and whatnot. Uh, it has been sort of, I mean, keep in mind that this has all happened in the midst of a pretty huge transition of Andre Drummond coming in, um, Marc Gasol sort of being phased out, although he's had a hamstring injury, so I'm not sure really what's going on there. Um, but for us to be able to weather all of that, including all of these knick-knack injuries that have come up for certain guys, Cal Kuzmo is out for two games, Markeith Morris is out in tonight's game, and he's been one of the more consistent players ever since he started for the Lakers. Um, but yeah, Alan, if you want to tack on to that, what have, your, what have been specific guys or things that have helped outside of the defense, um, outside of the guys coming together in defense, what guys in your head have like stepped up or any positives that you've seen that sort of have helped this case in just kind of treading water and being a 500 team? Obviously, I mentioned Markeith. KCP has kind of started hitting uh, threes again, which has been nice. But what are some other observations that you've seen? Yeah, um, you, know, you mentioned some of the rotations with Marcus Gasol, and we're not exactly sure what's going on there. But uh, when we had the kind of uncharacteristically public thing going on with him you know whether he's seeking a buyout or not and then like even the lakers instagram account was like basically he's here to stay he's committed it was like kind of yeah, a bizarre yeah i was like wow they're really trying to smooth you know something over but right after all of that stuff i mean he came out and had a really great game uh i at this point that feels like three weeks ago but the toronto revenge game there you go. Right, right. Um, he played extremely well. You know, he's starting to hit his three-point shots. You know, obviously he had a pretty rough bout with COVID, so you throw that into the equation as well. But uh, for the games that he's been in there, uh, I feel that he has really stepped up. Uh, you mentioned Keith, how he's out tonight, unfortunately, but he has become one of our more consistent options. Like on offense, he's become this bailout kind of guy who can hit a 12 to 14 foot fading to the right, fading to the left kind of jumper. Um, I, I was listening, of course, to Laker film room and Pete was saying he hit it on the head. He's like, it's something straight out of 1997 uh, with him. And it's like every time he shoots it, you you are pretty confident that that's going to go mm -hmm. in. Um, you know, you give a lot of credit to shooter, you know, toughen it out through that tailbone injury that was pretty nasty but uh he was having a great game until he got kicked out <laughs> along with Kyrie um but yeah a lot of guys have stepped up like you said and you know Kuz unexpectedly you know missing some time as well and just guys in and out of the lineup because of injuries I mean seeing a shot of LeBron AD Drummond Gasol Kuz all like sitting on the bench and they yet, are huge isn't it crazy seeing that lineup in street clothes you're just like damn we got a freaking big it's team. like a it's pretty like, awesome picture just <laughs> in and of itself right that's but like, boys. <laughs> <laughs> we're 
when you realize what it means though when all these dudes are in street yeah, clothes yeah. like yeah it looks like they're supporting the guys at like summer league or something in vegas but it's like oh no this is like our east coast road trip middle of the season and um with all that being said the fact that we haven't uh you know lost all of our morale as a team right and like you said we're treading water which is more than any of us could have asked for uh heading into this tough stretch so um like tommy said once we are once we get ad back you know within the next week or so um it's going to be really fun to see how all of the guys stepping up what they've kind of proven to the coaching staff what they've proven to themselves what it's going to look like and then of course when we are at full strength it's uh it's going to be really interesting to watch how all of this comes full circle. For sure. AD on the way. Um, so the, what was I going to say? Uh, KCP is 20 of 36 from three in his last six games. <laughs> of course <laughs> he is. Stupid. Of course. Of course he is. Right? It's ridiculous. Um, as this has happened, obviously Kuzma's three-point shooting has fallen off a cliff because the, it's the Laker rule that there can only be at least or at, at max, two Lakers players who shoot above 37% from three. So it's Kuzma's turn to like fall off a cliff and KCP to rise back up. It's very selfless um, of him, you know. <laughs> you don't want to exactly. steal his thunder. Uh, Markeith Morris. So in March, Markeith is averaging, or in March, Markeith averaged 10.6 rebounds and 47% from the field, 41% from three, knocking down two threes a game. In April, Markeith is averaging 13.5 points, 5.5 rebounds on 51% from the field, 37.5% from three, knocking down two a game as well. And for me, you know, against the Brooklyn game, obviously he's a different player than LaMarcus Aldridge, but in terms of the shots they're getting, I was like, yo, Markeith is pretty much LaMarcus light in terms of just knocking down all these mid-range jump shots, but also extending it out to the three-point range and knocking it down at a pretty reliable rate. And his defense has improved, he's engaged, and it's been, he has been the most consistent Laker for the last almost a month and a half, you know? And so I don't know if this is a hot take, but... MVP. MVP. <laughs> kind of. kind of. MVP in the buyout sense kind of buried the lead there. But I know we're super excited about Andre Drummond, and he's going to definitely shore up some things for us. But I think even after this season is over, I don't think it's too outlandish a statement to still say that, you know, going back to last year, Markeith Morris may still be our most important buyout signing of the last, you know, two contending seasons in terms of just he's a guy who you really can't play off of the floor and we'll get into this later but he's a guy who you really can't play off of the floor when ad is starting at the five is that a crazy statement to say tommy you wait say that one more time i got confused in terms of if you're looking at you know everybody's heralding like the andre drummond buyout but i still think at the end of the day even though maybe you know talent to talent in a vacuum andre drummond is a better talent than markeith morris Markeith Morris may still be the most important buyout that we've ever had in the last two years than Andre Drummond, just because of his versatility positionality-wise. So No, I hear you. The, the cool thing about Markeith, and, and I was the biggest one on him, actually, for this earlier in the season. But I told you he was good. Yeah, he, yeah, he told me he's good, I, honestly. But he was so... Um, it felt like he had like seriously lost a step defensively. I don't know if it was a conditioning thing or maybe he just, the effort, same effort wasn't there from last year, but lately, you know, with the emergence of every, and the, you know, kind of raised level that everyone's had on the defensive end, you're kind of seeing what this guy can bring. I mean, we were putting this dude on Kevin Durant when he was in the game, like, and he was, I mean, it's Kevin Durant. So it's like, no one's going to stop him individually, but he was holding his own. We were putting him on, um, uh, you know, the Clippers game obviously didn't go well, but we put him on Kawhi. Like, he has the versatility to guard 
the opposing team's best player for a stretch, which you cannot say about most bench players in the NBA. His ability to hit the three consistently, which he's shown again, is going to be huge for us. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, because of the vers- pure versatility and given the rest of our roster makeup, definitely you could make a strong argument. He might be like the most important ever buyouts. Yeah, know, ever, like, yeah. It's especially because usually buyouts don't last past, you know, that season that you get them in. But obviously we signed Markeef on for this year. And then next year, if and when Markeef and then Drummond leave, he becomes even more important because we'll need to re-sign him with his bird rights just to keep him on. So um, yeah, good on Keith for like turning this whole season around and, you know, and good on Vogel again for starting him and keeping him engaged this entire stretch. Uh, We're going to take it to break. When we return, we'll get to our individual thoughts of Andre Drummond and Ben McLemore and how they changed the dimensions of our team. So we're back. I also wanted to highlight the guy we highlighted at the top of this show, THT, because he's a big reason why, you know, the Lakers are somewhat treading water here or even better than treading water because this has been a time for Frank Vogel to experiment again with THT. We've obviously seen his ups and downs with the turnovers, barreling into guys recklessly. But we've also seen it once again, when this guy gets minutes, he just shows so many unnatural flashes in the good sense that just you just can't help but say this guy is special. And so THT, obviously, the last game against the Brooklyn Nets, probably the best 4 for 16 game I've ever seen a player have. He had 14 points and 11 assists. And this is his second double-double with points and assists uh, this season. And at age 20, the only other guy who's done that since in the, in the most recent hist- Lakers history is Lonzo Ball. Um, Lonzo had nine such double-doubles his rookie season, but at that time he was averaging 34 minutes. THT this season has only averaged 18 minutes, and for him to have already have two double-doubles with points and assists is pretty crazy. And I think the craziest thing to note is that he's grown as a playmaker within this very season. Um, You've seen how much he struggled at the beginning of the season, even just to make the right reads, make easy reads. And all of a sudden you see him with like 10 assists game, 11 assists game, Um, him using his gravity to find easy dunkers. Um, You know, not to throw shade at Schroeder, but this is not something you can say about Schroeder, who at this point, he just is who he is. I know we've given him, you know, a little bit, bit of a pass in the past saying, oh, he just needs time to get used to his teammates. And granted, everybody's been in and out, but... I think Schroeder is pretty much, this is who you're going to get. But with THT, you're just seeing uh, him learn so quickly. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's great to see his awareness grow game by game. So, Alan, really quickly, your thoughts on THT and just, I, I think just further cements, like, thank God we didn't trade this guy for, you know, Kyle Lowry rental. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. You kind of covered everything. Um We would have regretted it for sure. We already talked about this before. Had we traded him, um, you know, we would have gone with the flow, of course. But come next year, we would definitely be thinking, damn, like, what if, you know, we had kept this guy? Because he's going to uh, probably be a pretty foundational piece for us. Um, Like you said, that 4-for-16 game was incredibly impressive, despite the fact he shot 25%. But in terms of his effect on the game, uh that wasn't kind of the reflection at all um i'm excited to see how he's going to be in the playoffs i mean last year in the bubble against houston when he got thrown in there uh he did extremely well kind of out of nowhere you know what i mean now he has more responsibility this year uh last year was like that spark of energy kind of we're just going to inject this in the moment and he had like nothing 
to lose, right? Because there's no expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be interesting this year to see how he responds. Um, like you said, defenses are starting to adjust him. You know, other teams, they know what he wants to do, which is why um, – you know, his shooting percentage has gone down. He is starting to knock down a three ball every now Mm -hmm. and then though, that's going to open up his game for sure. So uh, yeah, it's been great just seeing his development and he's a kind of guy that he's going to find a way though, to be effective. uh, If one part of his game, you know, like efficiency, for example, is suffering. So um, yeah. Yeah. I think one of those ways is like you said, outside of hitting a couple more three pointers, just the willingness to shoot that shot versus get an offensive foul and barrel into the lane. But also when he does drive it into the lane, you're seeing with the assists piling up that he's actually looking for guys now versus just trying to get that shot up. So uh, THT is averaging 14 points, four assists, three rebounds, 2.2 steals on 43% from the field, but 46% from three, obviously on a low volume, knocking down 1.4 in five games through April in just 25 minutes. Um, But even in March, in 21 minutes, he averaged 10, three, and three. So, I mean, huge stuff by THT, and hopefully that pays dividends once we see him again in the playoffs. Uh, Okay, let's move on to the new guys. Uh, Let's start with the big penguin, Andre Drummond. What have your guys' thoughts been on Drummond? His debut... I don't know, the four or five games we've seen him in, it's kind of been, he's had two good games sandwiched in between two weird games, especially the New York game where he only had like three points, but he did have 10 rebounds. I think in this uh, short stretch where he had to deal with like the toe injury and whatnot, we've seen both the good and the bad of Drummond. But yeah, Tommy, what what have your thoughts been so far on what Drummond has uh, brought to the table? I think especially in the Heat game, and the Brooklyn Nets game, we got to see his quick hands, how fast, how, how strangely fast he is in the open court. Um, we got to see him, you know, do the too small um, taunt on LaMarcus Aldridge, who is like two inches taller than him or something. But regardless, he was able to bully guys like LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, I don't know if we've seen the pick and roll game yet with, with Schroeder. Maybe we're not supposed to see with Schroeder. Maybe he should be running that with THT. But regardless, uh, we've seen both the good and the bad, especially when it comes to maybe giving him a little bit too much usage and free reign to try and create a shot on his own. But so far, what, what have you seen from Andre? So far, I think we've seen flashes of what he's eventually going to be able to do for the team. Um it's obviously tough. I mean, he's like a really good compliment, I think, to LeBron and AD. But he, right now, it, it and I'm not sure if this is a him problem. I think it's more uh, coaching slash utilization. I guess I should say utilization problem. But I think because we're relatively offensively inept um, in many scenarios right now. We sure are. Just because of, I mean, you know, beyond the obvious missing two of the top five players in the NBA we've been dealing with a lot, like a ton of other just random nagging injuries. I mean, we've been lucky to field nine guys most nights, right? So and we've had guys in and out of the lineup and it's just been really bad. And I think because of that, we are just throwing it to him in the post a lot for just straight post-ups and he can do it. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. It's not like he's JaVale McGee or something down there, like no disrespect to JaVale, but like he can do something with the ball. Um, the problem that I have is it's kind of like, you know, primed, to some extent, kind of like prime Dwight Howard, where he, you don't want him to think that his role on the team is he's going to be the back down, like Shaquille O'Neal center, because he turns it over a lot. His hands are, his hands are good, not great. His decision-making leaves a lot to be desired once he gets the ball in the post. And we saw how much of a change it could make on somebody like Dwight 
who played for one way his entire, what, like 16 plus year career and then suddenly changed to, I am now strictly going to catch the ball in the pick and roll, catch lobs and do putbacks. And his efficiency shot through the roof, right? And I think if Drummond buys into that, he'll be just fine. Um, He will, you know, again, he is a little bit more skill than I'm giving him credit for. He's not just like, like, I'm not trying to suggest this is a Kobe, like, come be my Tyson Chandler situation here. Like, but if his mindset is more like that, like, I am just going, I'm on this team, I it's never going to be the case that I'm the one who is going to be the primary option to score. It's going to be LeBron. It's going to be AD. It's going to be frankly like three or four other guys ahead of me. And pretty much all I need to do is catch lobs, do pick and rolls, you know, clean up, uh, clean up misses, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how, and if I, and and frankly, if I just do that, I'm still going to average 16 and 12, (laughs) you know what I mean? So if he just gets that into his mindset, into his mind, I think, we'll see like him fully unlocked. I think a big, big issue right now too is we don't have a lot of guys who can throw a good lob. Um, And you know, last season, I think it was the same problem. We just noticed it a lot less because LeBron played almost. No, it was Rondo. It was Rondo. And we we also had Rondo Rondo, obviously. Um, But you know, this year it's just not the same. Schroeder is not a true playmaker. He's more of a scorer and that's fine. That's just who he is. That's his game. But He's also like pretty small and besides being small is very, very slight. I mean, that dude weighs like 170 to 175. Like he is pretty light. He gets knocked around pretty easily and he does not have the most precise passes. Um, And so the problem is, you know, when you take LeBron out of the equation, we just don't have a lot of guys who can hit Drummond on those passes. And so that's obviously another reason why his effectiveness has been quite limited so far, but you know, like you said, it's been kind of up and down and, and we've seen two spectrum or two different ends of the spectrum of how he could look against the Nets game. He was physically dominant and you know, that's great. I I think ultimately he's going to be fantastic for us. He fills a huge need. He's just a large, large, large human being. It takes up a lot of space and it's going to clean up our defense. One criticism I, I do have though is, um, he needs to realize, and I don't know, again, if this is a coaching or like a team leadership thing that on this team, everybody rotates. Um, even if you're the big man in the middle, you have to rotate to the shooters. He has a lot of plays uh, that some people have flagged on Twitter already where, you know, it, it's in the middle. Lakers get into these scramble rotations a lot and it looks hectic, but it's really just part of what they're doing defensively. And you'll see Drummond just kind of like fall asleep and stand under the rim and, um, and eventually he'll realize like, oh crap, I'm supposed to rotate, but he rotates late and it leads to a wide open three. So, you know, it's going to, because he's so big and, and, you know, lateral, lateral quickness is not his forte. It's going to lead to some blow buys and, and that's fine um, because the rest of our team is so solid and rotating and helping, but he has to get out there and defend the shooters. It's not his job on this team to stand in the middle and just, you know, stat pad his rebounds. He has to he has to be scrambling just like everybody else. Yeah. I mean, you'll see those moments where he'll actually utilize his quick hands and then get the steal and then r- probably lead the break almost. But it's those moments. I mean, those are, those moments are, he does that only when he feels like he can get the steal, if that makes any sense. But 
Um, to your point, I think he needs to be more part of the game plan versus like a renegade, like, oh, I can get the steal and take this gamble and use my seven foot six wingspan. Um, but he needs to do that within the context of the scrambling defense that, and once he does that, I think everything works in concert together, you know, where his seven foot six wingspan becomes more of a weapon um, with the way that Frank Vogel likes to set up the defense where everybody's moving around, scrambling, uh, getting out to shooters, etc. So he can't he can't just be above the perimeter taking those snipes. Uh, when he's below the rim, like you said, Tommy, he has to move around as well. Um, so Alan, what are your thoughts on Andre Drummond? I've thought a lot about how how this works when AD gets back and, and LeBron James, and if we've ever seen anything like it. It's not exactly Dwight and AD like whenever we played those units together. Um, but I think I came up with an imperfect comp, um, because Drummond is kind of like a halfway in between what Dwight Howard is and what DeMarcus Cousins was for Anthony Davis when they were both on the Pelicans, if that makes sense. He obviously can't space the floor like DeMarcus Cousins can, but in the sense that he has more offensive versatility than obviously Dwight Howard, uh, and in the way that both him and DeMarcus are not as athletic uh, as Dwight Howard was, but they have they actually have pretty good touch around the rim whenever they do get the ball, if they can, you know, hold on to the ball, first of all. Um, but I think that's the way this can work. And I think just from an optics level, just the f how physically imposing Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis look next to each other, and then you have, like, LeBron James, maybe you have Kyle Kuzma there. I think that has an effect on teams and... As Andre Drummond continues to work himself into the defensive scheme and whatnot, I think it's just going to hurt and bruise up a lot of teams to have to go against that front line. You know, even though it's not as perfect as, you, as you'd want, but I think we've seen it before with, you know, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. It may not work out as well as those two were when they were on the Pelicans, especially because they had like a floor general and Rajon Rondo throwing lobs to either one of them. But I think there's a way that they can coexist where it doesn't look so clunky because on the, on the outset, it kind of feels clunky to have those two guys clogging up the, the paint in that respect. But yeah, uh, with that in mind, what have your thoughts been on uh, Andre Drummond? Yeah, overall he's a lot more skilled <clears throat> than I realized. Like we talk about his mishaps and how um, he gets a little bit tunnel vision at times. So the decision-making, you know, may not be there, but again, we we're having to rely on him as a pseudo number one option <laughs> offensively, which is what he's done for most of his career. So in, in some sense, like it's in his wheelhouse and we don't have any other options. So what are we going to do? Um, the game, of course, against Brooklyn stands out where he looks out of control. Like he's losing his balance. Um, you think he's about to turn it over. He's just going to lose his handle. But then all of a sudden, like he flips it up. But when he flips it up, it's not like a Dwight flip up. Like you said, there's no touch. It's, it is more like DeMarcus where you have confidence that that thing's going to go in. So, um, I've been pleasantly surprised by how his out of control nature is kind of in control for him if that makes sense <laughs> yeah. uh of course when we're at full strength we are not going to be doing straight post-ups with the guy like we're not going to be relying on him for those things but um you know when he has to clean up the offensive glass for example i mean he's an incredible rebounder and of course we knew this just by looking at the numbers but to see how much space he takes up uh and how secure 
we are on the glass. Like we don't have those moments where you've got two or three guys kind of gang rebounding for the ball. And then we turn it over because everyone's yelling same, same, same. Like everyone kind of backs up because he's got it. Right. Um, so I think that that's something we've been missing. I, I think with Dwight and JaVale, we felt more confident, right. In terms of rebounding. And maybe we're going to get a little bit of that back. Um, <clears throat> I'll be looking forward to how he deals, you know, with other bigs. I mean, one of the most fun things to watch last year was Dwight abusing and getting inside the head of, you know, Nikola Jokic or whoever it was. Um, and it was really fun to see him playing those mind games and we all knew exactly what was going on. Um, It'll be fun to see if uh, Drummond can kind of fill that sort of need for us in the playoffs, things slow down, etc. Um, I'm also interested to see what things look like rotation-wise. Like we talked about this before, is he really going to be in a closing lineup at the end of the game when most teams are going small and we're going to have AD at the five? So yeah, probably not, you know, but um, that rotation of bigs, like you kind of mentioned earlier, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and so I think that'll segue to segue us into our last segment of the night, and that'll be just what we think this bigs rotation will look like, especially in a playoff setting when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are back in the fray here. So obviously with the weirdness of how the Marcus Gasol situation went about and him obviously not feeling um, his role being taken away from him, and it's understandable because he was already only playing, what, 20 minutes? So he's like, oh, this is going to be um, lessened even more. Um I want to bring up that he's not the only one who's going to have to deal with, you know, a, a smaller role. As we've seen, Trez has sort of been on a downturn uh, with his minutes the last uh, couple games here. And I don't think that trend is going to stop, especially when the playoffs happen. And, you know, Trez has been essential for us the entire year. He's the only player that I can think of that can go out there and in 20 minutes shoots 65% from the field and have 18 points on like 9 of 12, you know? So, I mean, his offensive contributions don't need to be stated, and defensively he's been better than what people think he is as a defensive player. But with that said, and with Drummond there to soak up minutes, I mean, just by default, his minutes are going to get lessened. Uh, This season, I think, is going to be a true testament of sacrifice uh, to a T because, I mean, multiple players are going to have to do it. Luckily, I mean, not luckily, but if there was any benefit to guys sitting and getting injured, it's just allowing other guys to get minutes. Um, but provided everybody's healthy when the playoffs come around, my question is, is Trez going to be okay with the natural downturn of maybe 15 minutes? I think his skill set, while not necessarily the same as Drummond, um, when it comes to them not being spacing bigs, it's sort of similar in that respect. So if we do go with AD at the five during certain playoff lineups, to me, I think the guys who you can more easily play are either Markeith Morris or Cal Kuzma. Um, there may be scenarios when we're going up against like a Jokic or an Embiid, when, if, we, if we face them in the finals, that you use a Drummond just so that AD doesn't have to soak up all of that center that center, that center beating, but uh, otherwise, I think you want to space the floor as much as possible for um, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I know AD can space the floor, but in a crucial playoff setting, you don't want AD just standing around on the perimeter too, you know? Uh, so Tommy, what are your thoughts on how this is going to shake out? I mean, you think Trez is going to be okay with this or he's just going to have to be okay with this? And then where does Marcus Gasol play into all of this? Because the last game... 
he probably should have been inserted a little bit earlier than he was at the end to sort of try and save the day. And like he comes in there and all of a sudden uh, we, we go on a run and he's the only Laker with a plus minus or a positive plus minus of plus two. Uh, so Frank Vogel is going to have to figure this out. I agree. In the short term, I think Mark is the odd man out because I think Frank views him as the Fed who can take it. Um, in the long run, I think Trez, I kind of agree with you, is probably the odd man out. The interesting thing is you mentioned like a few specific names about who Drummond might potentially help us, you know, with in the playoffs and for first short bursts of time. But I actually think it's like quite a few this year, dude. Like, if you look at some of the top teams in the West, like we need a body. Marcus All is 36 years old. Like he's he's not going to be able to go out there for significant stretches of time against Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Ayton. Um, Zubats. Even Zubats. I mean, like, yeah, so yeah. Zubats, like, is, no, yeah, he seriously. is what he is, but he um, dominates us in the in the paint uh, this season, I should say, uh, when, he, when we played against them just because of his physical size, right? So Drummond will play a role in those series. Obviously, Denver plays some guys like that. Uh, you mentioned Jokic. A big one is another big one is Portland. They play two bruiser type of. Um, uh, big man at the five rotation with uh, with Nurkic and um, what's his Cantor. face Cantor, yeah. Um, so I think I think in though in that context, Embiid. I mean, you mentioned some of the Eastern Conference potential matchups. Like Drummond has a clear role in the playoffs for at least bursts of minutes against those types of guys. Marcus All has a very clear role because he's the only big we have besides Markeith who can space. Um, the floor consistently and also he's a phenomenal playmaker that we're frankly probably underutilizing. um and then you know you start getting down the line and you get to montrez and montrez is not a bad player he's much better defensively than everyone gives him credit for um he maybe has you know i you think about we we end up playing some team frankly like the clippers with some of the lineups they run out there maybe maybe montrez does see more minutes in those types of series but it's hard. There are limited, to your point, limited scenarios where we would need somebody with Montrez's skill set who we couldn't just use Drummond for. I think, you know, the, those being, you know, if the Clippers do their crazy small lineups where they play, you know, Patrick Patterson or whoever at the five or even Ibaka at the five, you know, you yeah, sure, we play we play AD at the five a lot in, the, in crunch time, but we still need somebody to soak up additional minutes against teams that like to go really, really small. And maybe Montrez has some value there, but I, I think, yeah, he's probably the odd man out. It's going to be interesting to see how Vogel manages it. Um, because Montrez does bring a very nice punch offensively. It just, you wonder how much do we need that offense once we have LeBron and AD back. And now that some of these other guys are clicking um, a little bit more offensively. Yeah. And I think he gives that driving sort of energy when the team is sort of like lulled to sleep a little bit. That's, I yeah. think, pretty essential, especially in the playoffs. So I know you want to inject that sort of life into the team. Uh, but it is hard because when Markeith is clicking like he's clicking, that's pretty much the best sort of big that you want next to an Anthony Davis. So, Alan, what are your thoughts on on this? Because I think there are scenarios, too, where Markeith is just the best big out there even over Drummond. And there are certain scenarios where Marcus Gasol may even be the better big as slow as he is uh, over Drummond when we're facing a guy like 
Jokic, who is like his younger predecessor. So he may be able to mirror how slow that dude is, but kind of think the same way he's thinking. So I'm, I don't know. It's interesting. I think the, the my end point is like, all of these guys are going to have to buy in and realize that they're going to have to sacrifice. I do understand from Frank Vogel's point of view, you're trying to serve so many... It's very political on his end because Trez is on a $9 million contract. He's probably going to opt out of the te- his, his player option, but hopefully, we're, maybe we're probably convincing him, oh, please sign back with us to get your raise of like $11 million. And so Frank Vogel's tra- probably trying to service that. I know he says he wants to try and keep Drummond long-term, even though that's unrealistic. So, But there's a lot of political things happening here that he has to service. I don't envy his position, but, but yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's really hard to say because we've never been at full strength <laughs> with this squad, you know? Like yeah, we have true. no precedence to even know um what the rotation's going to look like. Like you said, Trez's greatest gift is his offensive punch that he packs, but in the playoffs with everybody's minutes increasing, like how much are you really going to need that? So, if his strength is being fulfilled through players who are better than him, yeah, it kind of puts him in a in an odd spot and I mean Tommy's right like he is better defensively than uh he gets credit for but I mean if what about you have the other guys <laughs> exactly like so are the other guys deficient defensively no like they're just as good if not better and they offer those skill sets that we need which would be floor spacing playmaking etc so if he's like an incredible energy guy but one who is very skilled right and can do a lot with that energy um I mean, that's what he's there, but that's such a situational type of thing, right? So we can imagine situations where we're cold, where there's no rhythm. Okay, you feed it to Trez and he can ISO and get a bajillion and ones, you know what I mean, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, But of course, you got to think, how is the other team going to counteract that? Okay, well, with size or whatever it is, and now he's out of the game. So um, I'd almost have to look back and see how the Clippers, you know, kind of utilized him in the playoffs because we know that he was losing minutes as well. Um, and, and the way that they were playing defense and putting him in positions that weren't good for his success, you know, had a large effect there. So it will be interesting. Yeah, and this isn't even including Kyle Kuzma, who plays. I know, the I thought about sometimes. that too. Actually. You know what I mean? He's right, like one of right. our better yeah, defenders, true. even. Yep. Even though his three-point shot has waned throughout the season, it's like he has been consistently such a good defender for us, especially on the perimeter. And we're when we're trying to do that whizzing up and down, you know, covering the full length of the floor, I mean, he's one of the best options to do that. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But like you said, you know, we have yet to see it. So, um, I mean, that's a good problem to have. And we, I guess we can hope to pray and pray that we have that problem because that means everybody's healthy. Uh, so we'll see. But I think the... The main point here is that I think in their heads, each one of these bigs should probably come to grips with the fact that, and maybe Lakers fans too, that there are probably going to be one or two DNPs on the nightly, depending on matchup and depending on game, once the playoffs start. And hopefully Frank can continue to use last season as, you know, a template for this is what happened with Dwight, this is what happened with JaVale. I know you're bigger names. It's tough. It's tougher to say it to the sixth man of the year and a guy like Andre Drummond than it is to be like, oh yeah, we saved Dwight Howard's career. Like reclamation projects. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so that's true. again, I don't envy Frank Vogel's position, but he's this is this season is going to be a true testament of a lot of different things. Not the least of which is sacrifice and communication. Which you know, given the Marcus Saul situation, 
kind of starting to see the cracks, but I, I think that's excusable given just how unique a situation this whole team has been in this season. Um, so with that said, I think that'll do it for this episode. Um, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, we're going to do like an extra small segment talking about Ben McLemore after this episode is over, but that will be exclusively for our Patreon members. So if you want to check that out, go to go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. But as far as this episode goes, uh, we're hoping the Lakers beat the Charlotte Hornets and um, let's peng win and not peng lose. You know what I'm saying, guys? No, me. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh alan tommy thanks for being on the show with me together all three of us yeah <laughs> i all never know how to end these right. things thanks for having all us <laughs> all right i'll catch you guys later see you alan see you tommy see ya